Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I know you're dying to wonder why we're singing a Christmas carol in July, Christmas in July, and I will explain to you in due time, but not yet. I want to start by mentioning the fact that I, as you can tell, do not have the greenest of thumbs. I am not the green thumb in our household. That would be my beloved wife, Anne, who hopefully is even wearing a green dress today to reinforce the fact you did not know I was going to be saying that. Uh, and yet, there is something in the scriptures and in what we hear in our readings tonight especially that uh, shed light on what it means, what the end times are all about, as Jesus says, at the close of the age, or the consummation of the age. And it's really helpful to know a bit, a thing or two, about gardening and about farming if we're going to make sense of the biblical view of the end times. So let me give you just a quick two-minute primer on that Old Testament view of the end times and then how it goes in the New Testament. So set your watch. Okay. So from the Old Testament point of view and from the biblical point of view, life is uh, set up according to the ages. Okay. And right now, in the present age, is what's called this age. The Hebrew word was the Olam Hazet. Let me hear you say Olam Hazet. That means literally the age, the this one. And so from the biblical point of view, we live in this age. The age that is still marked by sin and death and suffering and injustice. And what we look forward to is the coming of the age to come. In Hebrew, the Olam Haba. Let me hear you say Olam Haba. All right. So in the Olam Haba, especially from the Old Testament perspective, that begins when the Messiah comes. And then he ushers in his kingdom, and you know, the wolf lays down with the lamb, and all is right with the world. But God's kingdom comes in full. Now, that biblical view of the end times more or less obtains, both from the Old Testament to the New Testament, with one big difference. When Jesus comes through his life, death, and resurrection, he truly does usher in the Olam Haba, the age to come. However, the Olam Hazet, this age, this present evil age, also persists at the same time. So that right now, as we're gathered together here, we live in the overlap of the ages. Both the present age and the age to come are both coexisting right now until that day when Christ Jesus comes again and then ushers in the age to come, the Olam Haba, in full. And this present evil age and all of its sin and death and suffering all sloughs off. You with me so far? More or less. This is why Jesus, when he speaks, he talks about the end of this age. As he says at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, those famous words from what we call the Great Commission, Lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. He's talking about the end of this present age and the coming of the age to come, the Olam Haba. Now, today's parable that Jesus gives, and also our epistle reading, unpack the life of this age to come, the Olam Haba, the consummation of the age, the end times. But to do it, Jesus uses a really arresting analogy. He compares his second coming and the consummation or the close of the age to a harvest. To a harvest. So what I'd like to do this evening with our time together 
is to use this analogy that Jesus himself points to in order for us to better understand a few things about the coming of the, the, the age to come and how we live in this overlap of the ages where we find ourselves. And I'm going to lift up three points of comparison for you that I'm going to call expectation, separation, and transformation. Okay. Expectation, separation, and transformation. You with me? Okay. The wind is kind of nice. I mean, it's a little bit breezy, but can everybody still hear me okay? In the back row there? Okay, very good. So, a number of weeks back now, Anne comes running in excitedly into the house. So in the house, she says, Ryan, you've got to come and see this. You've got to see this right now. And, oh, what is it? Is a bald eagle is out on our front porch? Or, you know, there's an elephant walking down the street? Or what is it? She was so excited. I was ready for anything at that moment. So she says, no, you just got to come. you got to come. So we run outside, we, and she takes me to the garden. And we go out to the garden. Oh, okay, what are we going to see here? And she goes, and we go over to one of the plants. And she says, do you see it? And I said, no, I don't see it. Can you point closer? And there, amidst all the, the leaves and the greenery, was a minuscule cucumber. It's about the size of, you know, maybe half of one of your fingers. And I had to look, you know, I had to really look for a minute. Where is it? Right there. Where is it? It's right there. And there it was, a tiny little cucumber. And I thought, this is not going to be a very satisfying dinner. Well, why was she so excited about this one itsy-bitsy cucumber? Because it was the first fruits. See? It was the first fruits. It was the first flush of the harvest. And when you see those first fruits, as she had to explain to a Philistine like me, that's a promise. That's a promise that there is more coming. See? And it fills you with an expected hope, with that sense of expectation that more is on the way. Now, St. Paul says just this in our epistle reading today from Romans 8. Paul says that the Holy Spirit is given to us as the first fruits, the first fruits. And later in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, he will describe Jesus himself and his resurrection as the first fruits, the first fruits. And why does he use that language? Because he is pointing to the fact that at the consummation of the age, when Christ Jesus comes again, he and his resurrection, that's the first fruits of the full resurrection to come. And if Jesus is risen from the dead, then we have hope that we too shall rise from the dead. And in fact, as Paul goes on to say, not only us individual people, but the full physical creation will be redeemed and renewed and, so to speak, resurrected. But that now, through the resurrection of Jesus, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, you and I have that mini cucumber in our hearts. See, We have received that first fruits already. And so what is our posture as Christians in this age, or this overlap of the ages? It's expectation. Expectation. See, we live in the summertime of creation. In between those first fruits and the full harvest. We live in that overlap of the ages. And the proper posture for us to have in this time is expectation. In fact, Paul uses this wonderful word three times in the in his text here. And the Greek word is apokaradokia. 
aparadokia. And what it literally means, it's kind of a word picture, is like, well, have you ever seen, you ever seen a turtle stretching its head out of the shell? You know turtles do that? The word literally is that it means the stretching out of your head. Like, or you might imagine somebody on the train kind of stretching out in order to see what the head okay? He uses that, that's the word for expectation. And this is our posture in this life, in this overlap of the ages, because we are stretching out, looking out ahead, awaiting the return of our Lord and the consummation of the age, looking forward to the full harvest to come, of which we have already received the first fruits. So this is the first way that this analogy of the harvest is illuminating, helpful to understand our life in this age, in this world. Is that we have this posture of expectation because the first fruits have come pointing forward to that full harvest. The second thing is separation. Separation. They say that there's two things that everybody can count on in life, and they are death and taxes. And now that I've gotten into gardening, I would say that there's actually three things. Death, taxes, and weeds. You can always count on weeds coming up. And so what do you got to do when you see those weeds? You got to keep them separated. You got to separate those weeds out of there. If you want to see the, the flourishing of your gardening, if you want to see the full harvest, you got to get those weeds out of there. Unless you're gardening with Jesus. Because he has this surprising, unexpected counsel. He said, no, the weeds are right there with the wheat. And you expect him to say, so get in there, find those weeds, and uproot them. We don't have any space for them in our kingdom. Get them out of here. But that's not what he says, is it? He says, let them both grow together until the harvest, until the close of the age. Allow the wheat and the weeds to coexist together. He tells us the weeds are the, the sons of the evil, the weeds are the, the evildoers, the weeds are those causes and sources of sin. Allow those both to be here together in this age, in this overlap of the ages, until Christ comes again. I think this has two ramifications for us. This willingness of our Lord not to separate until he comes again. The first implication is that you and I can take heart knowing that there will be a separation. That when Christ Jesus comes again, the weeds will not persist forever. Amen to that. The weeds are not going to be around forever. Suffering and death and evil and sin and injustice, they will not exist in perpetuity. When Christ comes again, there will be the separation of the weeds and the wheat. And so we don't have to take into our own hands trying to, to uh, exact vengeance in this life. We don't need to try and separate the weeds from the wheat. It's the Lord's work. Let him sort it out. You and I don't have to. We can entrust our cares and concerns unto him without having to, to take that work into our own hands. We don't have to uproot the weeds. And the second ramification that follows from that is this. As Christians, we ought to err on the side of grace. We ought to err on the side of grace. If Jesus is willing to suffer the weeds during this overlap of the ages, then we ought to be willing to do so too. It's not our job to figure out who are the worst sinners. Who are the ones that we need to kick out? 
We're the ones that we have to say, hey, these people have no room in God's kingdom. It's not to say that we don't speak God's word of law, that we don't call people to repentance, including starting with ourselves. But it does mean that we always and ever err on the side of grace and allow the gospel to have the last word because we know that it's the Lord's job to separate the wheat from the wheat and he will do it in his time. His time of the harvest. So that's the second point of contact I want to make with this analogy of the harvest with the end times. The first is that we live in a posture of expectation. The second is that separation will happen harvest, but we don't need to do it yet in this overlap of the ages. And the third thing is transformation. Transformation. You know, I see with my kids who are a lot more excited and interested, fascinated by those that first fruits, and as these vegetables start to come up, don't get me wrong, I'm super excited too. It is so cool to see. But especially as kids, they have the right attitude toward it. You know, when you've been around it, you've done it long enough, it's kind of ho-hum. Yeah, you plant the seed and you water it, and the next thing you know, you know, you got some vegetables, you got some plants. Well, that's how it's supposed to work. Kids realize this is magic, right? This transformation. Wait a minute. You mean this little seed, we put it in the ground, we add water, there's sun and photosynthesis, all those things we learned about in elementary school, and the next thing you know, there's stuff that we can eat? I'm telling you, friends, that is magic. That transformation, can I get an amen from the front row? Yes. That transformation is powerful. And in fact, the scriptures use precisely this analogy to describe the transformation that is going to take place for you and me when Christ comes again. At that harvest, there is going to be that same transformation. Paul says in the scriptures in in 1 Corinthians, he says, right now, this body and this life that we have is like the seed. And at our death, we are sown into the ground. But when Christ comes again, he will raise our perishable bodies to be like unto his imperishable body. The Lord who lives and reigns forever, who subjects all things to himself, is going to transform you and me and make our bodies, our frail, human, sinful, sick bodies, those bodies that cause us so much trouble, When Jesus comes again and raises you and me from the dead, then our bodies will be transformed and glorified like unto his body. And we need to take it one step further because Paul says it's not just that we will be resurrected, but he says indeed the whole creation, and he kind of changes his metaphor a little bit to the woman in labor. He says the whole creation right now is groaning as in labor. You know, this is a beautiful picture because sometimes when we think about heaven, when we think about life after death, we just think about souls floating on clouds and the harps and the whole nine yards. And listen, if you're really into harps, God bless you. I'm sure there's going to be room for you. Okay? But if that vision has never been fully satisfying for you, I've got good news. Because that is not the full vision that we get from the scriptures. In fact, when we talk about resurrection... In a sense, it's life after life after death. So when we die, our soul goes to be with the Lord in heaven. But when Christ Jesus comes again, soul and body will be reunited. That's what we mean by the resurrection of the body. And more than that, this full, physical, glorious, beautiful world that God has made 
And by the way, this sermon is a lot easier to preach out here with this view than it is in the church, amen, right? God is not going to say when Christ comes again, well, that was nice, but now I'm just going to pitch it. Instead, he is going to renew and restore this cosmos to be what it was originally and always intended to be. The God who said at the beginning, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is very good, is going to say when Christ Jesus comes again at the culmination of the age, behold, it is very good now and always. And all of those things that beset our world in this time, whether you're talking about pollution, whether you're talking about pandemics, all of those things that mar God's good world are going to be shook out the way you shake the rug out on your front porch. And at the harvest, there will be a glorious transformation of all things, of you and me, and of God's good world. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? That's what we, as God's people, are looking forward to. I'll leave you with this thought. I think this is such a, a powerful, important message for us to hear, a message of hope, especially in these times where things do feel so unsettled, where we feel profoundly that sense that this present evil age is still persisting, right? But Paul has an important word for us to hear there. He says, in view of this glory and this hope that is to be revealed to us and in us, he says, all the sufferings of this present age they're not even worth comparing. It's not worth getting all excited about because it's not going to stay. And in fact, Mother Teresa once said, and I'm going to paraphrase here, Mother Teresa, who was no stranger to suffering, she said, in view of this hope of the new creation, this transformation, resurrection, and renewal, she said, in view of that hope, all the sufferings in this life in fact, she even said, even all the tortures of this present life, they should be only understood as like a night stay in an inconvenient motel. In view of that hope, all the suffering and the pain that we endure in this life, it's just like a night stay in an inconvenient motel. And so our Lord has given us this gift of his body and blood as a foretaste of the feast to come of the full harvest, so that we would be able to persist and persevere through this inconvenient night's day, even as we stretch out our heads in hope and anticipation, rejoice in those tiny cucumbers, and knowing that a day is soon coming, and it could be today, when the harvest will be brought in in full, and our Lord Jesus will return. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.